Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. These extreme heat waves that are coming, anything we build, basically. Extreme heat's impact on farmers. The cost versus code situation. The concrete has a a thermal mass. What can we do with some simple things? Um, There's even a new invented, the whitest paint of all time. It's no question that St. Louis and most of the Midwest is heating up. We're experiencing what's called a heat belt forming across the country, and it's got us sweating in more ways than one. So even as we unpack our sweaters in anticipation of cooler autumnal temps, you may want to consider whether your home can take the heat next summer, or perhaps sooner, when the next heat wave hits. Here to share some of her recent reporting on the personal and environmental dangers of hot houses, we have Holly Edgel, Managing Editor of the Midwest Newsroom at NPR. Holly, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. Now, Holly, your NPR Midwest Newsroom work has you talking directly with reporters and with members of communities in Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, and Nebraska. What got you interested in reporting on how houses are doing in cases of extreme heat? Well, it was kind of personal. It was last year. Um, I remember when the First Street Foundation came out with the heat belt map, the extreme heat belt map, and I saw that our four states, Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, and Nebraska, were right in the bullseye of that heat belt. So that got me thinking, well, in 30 years, we're going to start feeling more spikes of this extreme heat, more longer heat waves. And I thought, I did the math in my head, and I realized I'll be a senior citizen at that time if all goes well and I'm alive. Mm -hmm. And I thought, my goodness, what will life be like when we have those waves of extended, you know, 125 degree feels like temperatures? Um, It's not healthy, uh, not necessarily even for a young person, not not just an older person. So that really got me thinking about our houses. Mm -hmm. And what kind of home do you live in now? So I live in Shaw, and I live in one of those wonderful old brick houses circa 1904. Mm -hmm. And definitely on the second floor, I live in an apartment. And definitely uh, when we get uh, uh, over 100 degrees feels like temperatures, I can feel the the heat. It doesn't cool off. You know, I have central air. But the house does not cool off at night, and that perpetuates the heat again the next day. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not just a concern for folks who are older. In the the piece that you did, you spoke with someone who is the father of a, a newborn. So this poses dangers all across the, the age range, right? That's right. So the state climatologist of Iowa just happens to have an eight-week-old son. And when we had that heat wave in August, um, the baby was about a month old, and they were trying to keep the temperature at least uh, 20 degrees cooler inside than it was outside, so it was about 95. So 75 was about the best they could do. They, they were trying to get down to under 70. They couldn't. They live in an older house. Older houses are leaky. They're not airtight. They may, even if you put in new windows, it may not be the exact right sort of solution for keeping the cool in and the heat out. Mm -hmm. Now, we have talked with meteorologists on the show about record temperatures in February. 
um, environment reporters talking about the heat belt that we've mentioned forming across the Midwest, and then other reports about extreme heat's impact on farmers, and very recently, even in our schools. What do you think is missing, Holly, from that whole conversation when it does come to our own homes? I think that uh, what I learned in my reporting is that there are a lot of different competing forces when it comes to figuring out a solution and getting us all on the same page, if you will, to prepare for these extreme heat waves that are coming. Um, Two of the key ones are really cost and building codes. And these also apply to places like schools, nursing homes, anything that's part of what... uh, designers call the built environment, anything we build, basically. And that is um, we don't have a uniform standard from coast to coast in the United States for building codes. And the codes that we do have are voluntary. They can be uh, legal at 2009, the year 2009, which you can imagine those are not going to be forward-thinking, future-focused codes. Sure. Um, Now, what happens if you use more stringent codes, the latest one is 2021, you will be paying more money, most likely, to either retrofit your home or put the latest technology and materials into a new home. And so builders have the really real concern that they will price home buyers out of the possibility of buying a new home. And so you have these two colliding sets of problems and what I found it was kind of disturbing is no one, no one body, no one group exists to kind of pull everything together. So Holly, what are some of the solutions that environmentalists and architects are coming up with together? Well, the good news is a lot of people are working on a lot of different ideas. Again, though, you get this feeling that people are not on the same blueprint, so to speak. Um, there are a lot of different ways of thinking about everything from how to site a house on a lot so that it doesn't get the sun. Um, There's even a new invented, the whitest paint of all time Mm. out of Purdue University that you could paint your walls with to deflect the sun. There are different kinds of insulation. Um, There are different kinds of HVAC systems coming online. But one of the most interesting things that I uh, came into contact with in my work was the idea of using concrete. Now, concrete as a material does it does itself generate carbon dioxide, which is what's polluting our air. But Professor Hong Shi Yin at University at WashU, actually here in St. Louis, he and his students have ex- been experimenting on something they call Crete House, which is concrete, prefabricated concrete walls and roof. Basically, the special formulation of the concrete makes it lighter, so it's easier to build with. But what they found when they put it together was even before putting in an HVAC system, the concrete has a a thermal mass. And what that means is it traps heat within the concrete so it doesn't come into the home. And then it releases that heat at night just naturally without any kind of HVAC, which is fascinating. Um, Also, we don't think a lot about ventilation in our homes the way people in tropical countries and parts of the world do building more um, flexible and nimble ventilation that works in the hot times but can be closed in the cold times. So these are some of the things that um, are happening. Um, There's a host of different examples out there. Even Phoenix, Arizona, which is so hot, they're, they're also grappling with this because they have already a housing shortage. It's extremely hot, and the cost versus code situation is also uh, impacting Arizona. Mm -hmm. 
And in the reporting that you did, you also spoke with someone who has a national level understanding of things, but also understands those details. Is there maybe one or two things that that you learned um, that people can do without having to make a big investment in order to you know to keep their houses cool as these warming trends continue? I think one of the main things is that airtight situation. You could probably have someone from a local um, heating and cooling place come in and check your, you know, to make sure that you're keeping your cold air in and your hot air out. Um, One of the biggest things that I learned was the way that you plant and landscape. Trees can actually funnel cool air toward your house. Vegetation can help all of those types of things. So when you're thinking about either building or planting, these are two things that are, you know, you can do that won't cost you an arm and a leg. From there, you can look at your roof. Is it a dark material? We, we paint, uh, we have a lot of brick here in St. Louis, a lot of dark materials. What can we do with some simple things like that? And a, a designer and architect, both of those folks can give you some ideas and they probably won't charge you an arm and a leg just for some ideas. Mm-hmm. And do you think that there is some now uh, a little more incentive for people to do this? We're not on the front end of it. We're sort of in the middle, That's maybe right. at best. Um, what are some signs that uh, that people are just more keyed into this or clued into it? Well, I do think people are on an individual basis aware. I think what we need to see, we don't have as a nation a national adaptation plan, which is also something I learned. So any knowledge that is gathered doesn't necessarily trickle down to the average person. But I know that people are aware and are trying to do what they can on the front lines. I think that it's going to take a village, literally all of us, to get on the same page quickly because this is a matter of urgency. Holly Edgel is the managing editor for the Midwest Newsroom at NPR. Holly, thank you for joining us. Thank you. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by Maya Norfleet. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.